we have um, over the past year and a half been um, looking at the topic of focusing on the Christ. I believe that this is the 66th message in the series, and it is also, Lord willing, the, the next to last message of the series. Um, next week, Kinsbergs will be here, um, and then the week following, um, I believe, will be the final message in the series. I don't know what I'm going to do after that. I feel like this is just what we're doing, you know, we, we're focusing on the Christ. Um, actually, I'm, I'm praying about it. So pray, pray for me. I, I am making some final decisions on that. Um, but we've uh, joined a series, considered the shadow of Christ, the life of Christ, the return of Christ, reign of Christ, and we have moved into the reflection of Christ over the past month, um, considering the personal reflection of Christ and looking at when Christ is reigning in our hearts, residing and reigning in our hearts, then it will be reflected in uh, our lives, what we do and such. And then we consider the fact that as it is individually, so it should be collectively, that if we are a bunch of individuals who are seeking to reflect Christ, then when we come together, our collective um, should be seeking to reflect Christ as well. And so um, we have been considering then the one another passages of the, of the New Testament. We have looked at loving one another, serving one another, bearing one another, bearing with one another, and receiving one another. And last week, as we considered the um, receiving one another, we, we talked a little bit about um, what it is and what it isn't, and, and about extending that love for one another and the acceptance and such. But the exception clauses that we looked at were um, except um, for um, disputable matters and except for disciplinary matters, for discipline, discipline matters. Um, and we, we talked about that briefly in discussing those things because they're, they affect whether we accept people and what we accept in them as well. Well, the next logical step in that is if, if I see someone that clearly that I'm supposed to love and I love with the love of Christ, of course, right? We, so we do that. We make sure that we're loving them with the love of Christ. And I receive them, even receiving them with their scruples, their, their weaknesses, their infirmities. I don't want to leave the relationship there. It's like looking at my child and, and this is assuming that I'm the more spiritual one, okay, from Galatians chapter 6. Um, and this is the bearing one another as well coming into it. That it's like looking at my child and seeing my child in ignorance without knowledge is what ignorance is and willing to do what? Leave them there. Let them stay there. That just doesn't make sense. I, I want them to learn. One of my, my, both, both my twins actually are looking for vehicles right now. It's a, it's a fun thing. It's not just one. It's two at the same time looking for vehicles and not necessarily always looking for the exact same thing. Well, and we're learning the experiences of, of the Craigslist, you know, and Craigslist has tons of what? Scams. Yeah. And so one of them has, has learned that this week, you know, that, Numerous of the ones that have they've shown interest in have all had dying relatives, and they, they live hundred, hundreds of miles away. And all you have to do is give us all your information, and we'll send you more information. You know. Anyways, well, they're scams. They're you know. Well, I wanted him, the one that was, to learn through the process. So I made you know I made him read the entirety of emails and stuff like that because there's a what. There's a similarity, yeah, you know, that's, that's happening through this thing, and so start to learn the the process, you know, you know. And, I, and my comment is, that, you know, I hate 
the reality that in my world today that I almost am forced to go to the you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent mindset. You know, it's a if it seems too good to be true, it what? It is. Okay, and so so immediately there's no such thing as a deal anymore. There's no such thing as God opening up the door for you because clearly there has to be a problem with it. You know, and so same thing with looking at the property that we're looking at. You know, instantly the mind goes to do what? Why isn't anybody else looking at this? Why is the property still there? I mean, the only reason, only way we should be getting this property is if we're paying exorbitant amounts and we're outbidding somebody else because it's so good a property. Because clearly, if it's too good of a deal, there's got to be, there's got to be a catch. There's got to be a problem with it. Okay. And so we become cynical in our mindset. Well, I hate that part of it. But there's a part where I want my kids, though, as well, to learn in this world to be harmless as doves, but they have to be wise as Serpents. Does that make sense? So there's a teaching, an edification process that has to go on just in life in general. Well, the same thing is true with the church. Now, kind of a no-brainer. We've already established this fact. But what is the goal of an individual life in Christ? It's ultimately to reflect him, right? We want to reflect Christ. But... In reflecting Christ, how do I do that? What, what's, what is the, the primary way as an individual that I can reflect Christ? By becoming more like him. Okay? I mean, Romans 8 says that I am, in whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, of his son. That he may be the firstborn among many brethren. So, I, I honestly believe that God's purpose for my life, individually is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as I'm conformed to the image of Christ, I will better reflect him to the world that I'm around, and hopefully, and, and that they will be then be drawn to him. Well, again, then, as we said that the individual reflection, if you have a bunch of people who are in, seeking to be individual reflections of Christ, and when we come together collectively, we ought to be seeking to be collective reflections of Christ, right? Well, in the same light, then, when I consider this concept of edifying one another, and we're in Ephesians chapter 4, that's where the Bible reading was, and we're going to be um, breaking through this passage into chapter 5 and such. Um, and when I look at this passage, um, I see that there is a purpose in this edification process that the body is supposed to be going through. And the purpose we see right off the bat in verse um, 13, <clears throat> I believe it is, and I'm going I'm to read again, beginning verse 11, it says, And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, and it says for the work of the ministry, but Steve, you, you started to slip and said into, and you'd be, you'd be right in, in, in the original, into the work of the ministry, into the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. Until what? Here's the purpose, here's our goal. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you know that the purpose, the goal, if you would, of the assembly is exactly the same as it is for the individual? Just as I am supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ as an individual, so we as a body, collectively, as we come together, it ought to be our desire that as we come together, in our members, Christ being the head, that we become increasingly conformed to the image of 
Christ. That we come to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And the passage here then reveals two ways that we, we do that. First, we do that in unity. We seek to have perfection in unity. John chapter 17, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer for the, for the disciples, he said, Father, I pray that you make them one. Why? Does anybody remember? That the world will know that we are one. That our oneness, our perfection of oneness, reveals the perfection of oneness in the Godhead. I mean, how many times have you talked to a Mormon or Jehovah Witness and they can't get, a, they can't grip how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, what, three and yet one? Well, how can we be many and yet one? I mean, again, we've, we've talked about this over the past so many weeks about, you know, the, we're all sinners and so we have that in common, right? But the fact is that as sinners, with our lack of holiness, and we multiply that together, and we do the statistical thing, we're really bad, you know? And we all have a lot of opinions. And so let's say we have 50 of us here right now. If we, we went to discuss something, we'd probably have 80, 80 opinions, you know? They're probably all, you know, some of us may have the same opinion on things, but the reality is that we'd have all these diverse opinions, and, and if we all pushed our way for something, there would be what? Total disunity. And so, as we discussed then over these weeks, the only way that we're going to really achieve unity, true unity, and we're going to see again in just a moment, is, is for us to be willing to submit ourselves to one another. If we have love for one another and we seek to serve one another, if we seek to have the mind of Christ and we say that the value and opinions of others are more important than my own, it doesn't mean that I may not be right. But it means that it means that I am going to be seeking to to assess your opinions honestly, in the areas that they're not what they're they're not um, divisive points. Why 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 divide over it? Why push it? Why why move forward with it? And so, again, this is a point from other messages. But is it your desire to see perfect unity, this assembly? Now again, here's the deal. Well, let me go to the second point, because I want to blend them together. The second thing in this passage is that not only is there perfection of unity, but there's perfection in doctrine. Look what he says. Till we all come to the unity of faith, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. Okay, and we'll talk about the rest of it in just a moment. But there should be then a desire within us, not just to have a perfect unity, not just, but also a perfection in our, our teaching, in our doctrine, in our structures of our faith. What is it that we believe? And so there should be a desire within us to, to as we grow, to grow one another, that we grow in, in, in a unity, not just of, blaseness, if you would, of nothingness, but a unity of truth. Let me ask this question, because we're here this morning, I hope, with a common purpose, and I hope your common purpose was that you came to worship God. 
Okay, if it's the answer was no, don't tell me. Okay, <laughs> let me let me just go in my my little ignorance here. Um, but we gather together to worship God. <clears throat> Does God care about worship? How do you know that? Somebody quote me a passage where where it tells me that God cares about being worshipped. Maybe something from John 4 that Jesus might have said. <laughs> you know, he's seeking what? Okay. okay, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But go beyond that, that that's your context, but it also says that God is what? He's seeking true worshipers. He's seeking true worshipers. The point is that there are a lot of people out there doing what? quote-unquote, worshiping. And, and, and I'm not belittling that. But God, when he was on the earth, Jesus, made a statement. And it's a very profound statement. God is seeking true worshipers. And how did Jesus define true worshipers? Ones who were seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. There is a balance in spirit, in truth. Spirit is that, that oneness, that, that camaraderie that's there. It's, the, it's the, the inner working of desire, if you would, okay? But truth, and we believe absolute truth, is a measure, is a standard. And so it's not just accepting everybody, as we talked about last week, regardless of who they are and how they live and what they act like. But there's also the concept of having a standard, a standard of truth. And the goal of this assembly ought to be not just to worship God and to have a feel-good. There are a lot of people who do that, both from the, the, having the, the, the stage band, and, and again, we talk about in Sunday school, not necessarily that having singers and, and musicians are, are evil, okay? But, but if that's your focus... If your focus is that you've got to go and have the feel good and you have the music and everything that makes you feel like you're worshiping God, it makes sense. But you have no preaching of the truth if it's not based upon truth and you're accepting, um, you're not worrying about being a set apart assembly, okay? You're just all about having the, the experience, okay? That's wrong. And we would say that's more on the liberal side. But equally, there are groups that are out there that want to have worship, and they have a pure liturgy. They're not there for the music. They're there for the liturgical side of it and the reading of the creeds. And again, I'm not minimizing and, 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 and saying that that all is evil. But if you believe that doing those things give you the worshipful experience, then again, your worship is is still from a wrong motivation. Where does worship ultimately come from? It's from your, yeah, it's from your heart. It's from your personal life. That regardless of whether I'm in a liturgical setting or whether I'm in a, the, 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 um, uh, um, my mind is not big band, uh, concert setting, um, regardless of what, you know, extremes, if you would, okay? 
and, and I, I've noted many times, and in the, Bi the Bible is a book of balances, okay? And if you go to one extreme or the other on things many times, you always wind up back in the same spot. You always wind up back in man, somehow, okay? And so, so whether you're over here on that, that total um, uh, creeds and, and everything else, it still comes back to, to my feelings and over to my feelings. Now, clearly, you're here and it's not about your feelings. No, I, it could be. You could be at this because this is your, your sense of makes you feel like worship. Does that make sense? And so and I've got to be careful of that. So in all that in, in that, in that whole realm, when I bring it together, I ought to be a seeker of truth. Truth. Seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, straight up, we tend to, to err on the truth side sometimes. Okay? Now, I mean, how do you err on truth, right? Okay? But, but there are times when we would squash more of the, the spirit side, spirit-led side. And, 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 my heart's desire is that that doesn't happen. You know, I want to, to Lord, I want to, to have that balance that's there. Well, in the desire then that we have, in the, the, the um, purpose and the goal is having this perfection of the body, we ought to desire then to be pure in doctrine. Now, that desire for purity in doctrine could also lead to what? Turmoil at times. You have to be willing to be open to what God's word says. Which means that there are times when if you come to a conviction that God's word is teaching something that you didn't believe, something what? Something has to give. Either God's word or your practice. And so my heart grieves. I see people out there attending churches that, again, and this is... I know Romans 14, you know, you don't judge another man's servant. But I, I struggle. I mean, I, I struggle. I mean, infant baptism isn't what? It's not biblical. It's nowhere in the Bible. And so I struggle with that. People that I, I know that I believe love the Lord and yet are choosing to place themselves in a situation like that. I don't understand. Um, all millennialism. There is no millennium. Okay. It's not biblical. I mean, the book of Revelation very clearly says that there's going to be a thousand-year period. Okay. Now, again, I, I'm, I'm talking about maybe things that other people would say are what? Not defining God's word, but I see them as very literal. I mean, I, and so I struggle. How can somebody who really loves the Lord place himself in a, in a, in, under a teaching where they're, where they're teaching there is no millennium when God's word says that there is? Or covenant theology, which says that God has put Israel aside, and that's really what lays into millennialism as well, that God has put Israel aside and now the church is Israel. You know, that God, you know, all the covenants that he made with Israel now apply to the church. And, and I think, and some of you look at me like, really? Some people believe that? Yes, yeah, some people believe that. But I look at Psalm 89 where God says, you know, he doesn't, he's not going to lie to David. He's not going to alter the thing that's gone out of his mouth once he's promised and he's going to keep it. In Jeremiah 33, 30 or 33. Anyways, where he gives the, 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 the new covenant, and he says the same thing. Only if you could remove the covenant that he made with the sun, moon, and stars, can you remove the covenant that he made with, 
with Israel. I don't get it. I mean, those are pretty specific statements. And so if I say that God has done away with Israel and he's opened up only to the church and Israel's gone away now, then I've just said God lied. And if God didn't mean what he said back in the Old Covenant, how do I know he meant what he said in the New Covenant? How do I know there's not going to be an ultra-New Covenant that's coming out? And everything he said to me as a church has been done away with. Does that make sense? And so I believe in what's what is referred to as progressive revelation, or if you would, I don't say progressive truth, but revelation that's been built upon and built upon and built upon what was written before, because God's word is all true. It's not changing. God's truth isn't evolving. It's being revealed to us more and more and more in his word. Does that make sense? And so those are straw men. We don't believe those things here. I can pick on them. Okay? But are, is it my desire, is it our desire, collectively then, that we would hold to truth, that we would have a perfection of doctrine? I hope the answer to that is yes. I hope the answer is that if, if someone came in with something that was not true, that we would not just ferret it out, but that we would handle it in, in love. Not like the church of Ephesus, who sought to have doctrinal purity, but they lost their first love. But they would keep our first love, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in our desire to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would desire to walk in truth as well. So, the purpose of the edification of the body, from Ephesians 4 there, um, is perfection. Well, secondly, as it then discusses this, about coming to this perfect man and such, it starts talking about who the participants are. Well, in verse 11, we skipped this, and we're going to come back to it now. In verse 11, it started with the first grouping of these participants, and it's the leaders of the assembly, the leaders of the church. We have the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And there's a, a lot of discussion that goes on in the theological realms and debates of who these guys are, and um, many people hold to the fact that um, apostles are gone and prophets are gone, and so all we have today are evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And some would say that pastors and teachers are, are one, that it's actually pastors, even teachers. Or some would even say that maybe it's even teaching pastors. And so they would break it down into those categories. I, it, to me, it's, those things are mox next. I, I, I understand. Well, let me explain why. There's a little A apostle. Does anybody know what an apostle is? It's a sent one. It's an officially sent one. One who's officially sent. That wasn't what apostle was. And so we then understand the big A apostle as those who were the official sent ones from Jesus. And so there were how many apostles? Oh, 12, 11, 70. Oh, we have 70 so far. Okay. This is 13. We have 13. We can have a church division going on here right now. This is awesome. Okay. This is why I said it's Mox next. Okay. Now, all those potentially are are true. It all depends on which angle of the word you want to look at it. We know that there were the 12 that he chose, even out of the 70 that he sent. And one of those he chose, knowing was the son of perdition. So clearly he couldn't have been a real apostle. Yes, he was. At that moment he was. He had a title. It makes sense. In, in the, the early... Um, Disciples, the early apostles, 
understood that there was a void in the office and that that needed to be replaced. And so they took it upon themselves to give God the option of Mattathias or uh, or Sabbath. Didn't give him the option of don't fill it, I'll do it myself. Um, and so they said, heads, it's this guy, tails, it's this guy, and they threw the dice and it wound up being Matthias. And so Matthias becomes the 13th apostle or the new 12th apostle. But what about Paul? Was he an apostle? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's all the church of, that's how the book of Ephesians starts off. Paul continually declares himself to be a, an apostle, not by the voice of men, but by the voice of God himself. And then, yes, what about Barnabas? Barnabas is in, in the word of God declared to be an apostle as well. So now all of a sudden we're up to how many? Maybe. Or 14, if it depends if you really can, did we count Judas or not. Anyways, and, and was Matthias really an apostle or, or was he was he just chosen by men? Do you understand? So, so there's always this big debate because in a lot of the holiness movement today, they like to use this term apostle and they like to use the term apostle having this this position of great authority and so um so in the cessationist side of things we would be more of a cessationist side of things that certain things have ceased um you know they like to say that no these are gone that was one of the, the 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 original ones well okay clearly i would agree that the the 11 12 13 14 whatever, aren't here anymore. But are there those who are officially sent by Christ to other people? Missionaries. Now, many missionaries would see themselves in the role of evangelist, but I would submit to you that I see them more in the role of an apostle. Okay? And um, in that they are officially sent messengers of God. But I don't get into those debates on email and stuff like that and, and all that kind of stuff because I would, anyways... People would think I'm, I'm just kind of weird. So, but I, I see it, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, what about a prophet? Ah, now, a prophet is one who foretells the word of God, or foretells the word of God. Did you understand the difference of what I just said? Okay, so, break it down. A, a prophet is one who proclaims the word of God. Kind of makes sense. For some, in the Old, Old Testament, and even in the New Testament time, he was stating something ahead of when it actually occurred. But if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, in understanding that side of it, of the teaching side of the prophet, that the gift of prophecy was not foretelling God's word, but it was with power foretelling God's word. That you did it with, with assurance and with power. There was the proclamation of God's word. Now, some, again, would say that that's no longer here, because, but they're focusing on what? The foretelling of God's word, not the forthtelling of God's word. And I would submit to you that though I don't believe that there's any new revelation being added to the, 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 to, to the Bible, that God's word still is being what? Proclaimed, or it ought to be being proclaimed. And it ought to be being proclaimed with assurance and power. This is what God said. This is the word of the Lord to you today. You can declare it. I mean, I, you know, anyways, so I, I believe that that, that goes on. Uh, an evangelist, ungalion, okay? Again, evangelist is, is not a translation of the word. It's a transliteration of the word, okay? Which the, the Greek word is ungalion. Ungalion is a, a good message, a good messenger. 
okay, one who is proclaiming good news, okay? An angel, okay, is really not the little being with the wings on the back. An angel, quote-unquote, from the Greek, angelos, is just a messenger. And so this is a messenger with good news. So do we have people walking around with good news today? Not necessarily missionaries going to other lands, but you can be that evangelist in your workplace. I mean, I tried to do when I was driving truck, you know, and I was going into the into the um, the warehouse. I always tried to to have a good message, a good news, you know. And so, in fact, I had one guy would ask me, "What's the good news today?" <laughs> and I, God loves you. And he says, "Yeah, that's true." I said, "No, it's always true. Yes, it's true. Don't just give me, oh yeah, it's true. It's always true. God loves you. That's the what? That's the good news. God loves you, right?" Well, then you have these evangelists then. You have pastors and teachers. Do you note something that's in common with every single one of these guys? What do they do? What's, what's all in common? They proclaim the word of God. It's the word of God. It's what they all have in common. They're all sent with a message. They're all proclaiming God's word. And they're proclaiming it with a purpose, if you would, okay, as the participant, and we get in verse 12, and it says that they, that God gave all these people to us for the what? For the equipping of the saints. Your version may say for the perfecting of the saints. The word is equipping. The word is, is the word in Greek, which means like a, a ship that comes to shore. George, this is all you, Right? So the, the ship's been out on the on the in, on the sea for six months. What happens while they're out at sea for six months, George? What did you do? At least for the officers. You did what? How did you serve them? What did you what did you specifically do? You made food. They ate food. So as you made food for them, what happened to the supplies? They dwindled. They ate. And and you might be out there for six months and things are good, but you stay out for eight months, and you start to have what? You start to have problems, okay? Because most of those don't live by the word of God, saying man does not live by bread alone. <laughs> they're, they're looking at the cook, and they're saying what? Yeah, that's right. I don't care if you're pulling a shark out of the ocean, and you're cooking it up. I want fed. I want food now. Well, when that ship comes back to shore, it is being what? Restocked. It's being re it's being restored. It's being equipped. That's the concept of, of this word. That we are all, in a sense, vessels, and it is the job of the leaders, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip us, to store us up, to, to, to bring things into the warehouse and put it onto the shelves so that we, as the quote-unquote laity, and I hate the term laity, but it, it was, began with an L, and leaders and laity, and it just was. Um, and so, but as members of, of the body of Christ, that we all would be prepared then to do the work of the ministry. That we all would be prepared to edify the body of Christ. Because what Steve, when I said earlier, was slipped when he said, into the work of the ministry, into the edifying the body of Christ, that is literally how it says in the Greek. It's not the word gar, which means for, 
but rather it is the word ace, which means into. That God gave these gifts of the leaders for the equipping of the saints, Gar, ace into the work of the ministry. Again, if you pull in a bunch of people off the streets today, and you ask them, who would you say the minister of this church is? Nine out of ten, if not ten out of ten, are going to say who? Bob Corbin. He's the minister of that church. And the answer is 100% wrong. But we have, we have sucked into a cultural mindset that comes out of, I believe, Catholicism and organized religion from that perspective. Now, there's nothing wrong with the leadership. There's nothing wrong with having the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. As long as they're doing their function. And their function is to do what? Train the body. Train the membership. So that the membership doesn't sit fat, dumb, and happy in the news. They don't come as just parts of the show. They're not coming to the stadium to see the Bob show. It's pretty boring if that's what you're coming for. I, I'm all people who come just for that. And, but the reality is, again, we talked about this about a month or two ago, a couple months ago, when we talked about the body of Christ, that each part of the body has to do its share. And so, specifically, what we see in this passage is that what each part of the body is supposed to be doing after being equipped is to not get gluttonous with truth, but to use it in the ministry to one another. You all are supposed to see yourselves as deacons of one another. That's the word minister. That you are supposed to be deaconing one another. We don't have to have a board of deacons to serve us. The Bible never talks about having a board of deacons to serve us in every aspect. There may be specific ones that we choose to do specific tasks within the body, but as far as ministering to one another, that's all of our jobs. We don't professionalize it. So that, oh yeah, yeah, those are the guys that, that serve. Those, that, yeah. He's the one that will minister to the widows. He's the one who mows the grass. No, it's each one of us that are supposed to do that. Well, it's each one of us then who speaks to edify the rest of the body. Note what it says there. When it says about that we all do our part, it says, verse 14, I'm going to pick it in context. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Remember, this is all has to do with perfection in doctrine. Doctrine. Okay? And you'd think that this would be the what? The leader's part. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does a share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Listen, the perfection in unity is all of us, but the perfection of doctrine is all of us as, as well. I, I don't want to come just to get you guys fat on the word. My ardent desire is to equip you in the word. Work myself out of a job to have more and more of you willing to teach Sunday school, Wednesday night, even during this service. 
Now, I understand that this is a function that the body has given me to be the, 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 the senior teaching pastor, but that doesn't mean I'm the only teaching person. Does that make sense? That it's each of our functions. And I would love to see that coming more and more and more a part of it. Um, for those family days, I've already um, got Mark on online, I think, for the first Sunday of August to do that. That that family day thing, that the after thing in the afternoon, going to have you know the different families taking a part of that and being in charge of the, the, the what we're going to do, whether it's teaching or an activity or whatever, the, the family integrated stuff that we do at that point, that it's, it's going to be different families, different men, taking a responsibility there. It's the first step. And being in charge of it, you know, and, and, and publicly being in charge, if you would. I, I want to see that more and more. I'm excited. Um, I was just asked about, like with the nursery, would I be willing to work in a nursery? And the answer is 100% yes. And the more and more we have people who are ready to teach, and maybe as we get into the seven-year program that we're kind of looking at with the Word, it's easy to just parse out, hey, if you're ready to preach, we're going to be looking at this section of Scripture during that, that week. Why don't you prepare a message? And then while that person's preaching, I'm going to be where? In a nursery. Actually, I'm sitting there taking notes and making sure that everything's right. And But I could work the nursery. I could do other parts of the body that I want to be a part of as well. That's one of the reasons I like to do the, the, the summer program with the kids. Not because I have to be the one in charge of the kids during summer. I thoroughly enjoy working with the children. And I want to be a part of each aspect of the ministry. Not because I'm one of those leaders, because I'm part of the laity. Does that make sense? I'm a part of the assembly. I'm a part of the membership. And those are the things that I want to do in ministering to the body. I have my function as equipping the saints. But I also have my function in helping to minister and helping to edify the body of Christ. You do too. You do too. So, again, what part in that edification process are you playing? Well, now, here's the, here's the fun part. Okay, those are the participants. But what's the process? What would you say is the beginning of the process of... Okay, can't, can't look at your notes. I left it blank, unless you can kind of read into there. What, what would you say is the beginning of the process of you edifying others or being a part of the edification process? What would be the first... Thing that you gotta you gotta strive at. Tell me that again. Salvation. Okay, I'm assuming that you're all saved. We're, we're going to start there. We're going to assume salvation. But you're you're on it. You're on it, Phyllis. Take it the next step. Your sanctification. That's right. We still have that. <laughs> so it's it's this, your sanctification. That's that's the word we're going for here. It's your, your sanctification. Look, this is so fun to me. This is why I like being able to preach with, with texts here, okay? So we, verse 15, started up here, because we're going to go forward. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we get it, everybody's involved in the edification process, right? Next verse, verse 17. This I say, therefore, therefore is therefore a reason, right? Based upon what I just said, I'm going to tell you this. 
This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their minds, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. In other words, because you are supposed to be being involved in the ministry to the body, because you are supposed to be a part of the edification process, stop thinking like the rest of the Gentiles. Quit walking like them. Come out from them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse chapter seven verse one. God calls us to stop walking and acting like we did before we got saved. If you don't know the truth of God's word and the power of God's word, how can you ever share it? And the sad thing is, in a lot of assemblies and a lot of churches, you have a lot of baby Christians being set up as the leaders. And again, we just established that when we come together, God has, God has a desire for there to be perfection of doctrine. So if you, if you are going to be a part of helping the body to be established in truth, not your opinion, not your feelings, not, well, this is just the way it was, or this is the way it is, and not the way the culture does it, but if you are going to help establish this church in the perfection of unity and doctrine, that means that you need to set yourself apart to that truth. You need to be set apart and not walking the ways. But look, it continues on. It's not just setting apart. He says, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, excuse me, in true righteousness and holiness. You have got to make an eye, we have got to make a determined decision that we're going to put on Christ. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by laying your head on the pillow and saying, and now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep it, and if I, you know, and if I should wake in the morning, may I look like Jesus even more. You know? And, and, but we act like that sometimes. We, we act like, okay, since it's God's the one who works in us both the will and do of his good pleasure, I don't have to do anything. Does anybody know that verse? For it is God who works in you both the will and do of his good pleasure. Does anybody know what verse comes just before that? Paul says, We're for my brethren, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence. Work at your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both the will and do of his good pleasure. The point is that God will work in your heart to know what to do and to give you the power to do it. You just have to what? Do it. So he's going to burden you to study his word. You just have to what? Study his word. Jesus said one of the, 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 the ministries of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter, when he comes, was to lead you into all truth. But you've got to be in the Word to find it. So if you're in the Augusta Chronicle, more than you're in the Word of God, what are you going to find? Absolute truth or, or relative truth? Relative truth. 
if you spend more time in internet um, chat rooms and um, opinions or whatever rooms you want to call them, okay, than you do in God's Word, what are you going to know more? You're going to know the opinions of man and not the truth of God. That's why I'm not necessarily opposed to commentaries. I've got tons of commentaries back there on my shelves. But go pick them up and blow the dust off them. They're there so I can check myself out so I'm not going fully into left field sometimes. There are some times when, you know, God's opening up his word and I think, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm out there. I, I'm, I'm not. And, and I want to go back and I want to check out what everybody else has said just to, to, to keep myself in, in check. Does that make sense? But honestly, I seldom ever use a commentary. I really firmly believe that Jesus meant what he said. That if I would earnestly seek his face and seek his truth, that the Holy Spirit would lead me in the truth. And that I don't have to rely upon the writings of men to understand the truth of God. Maybe I'm naive. But if I am, you are more so because you're sitting under me. Anyways... (laughs) But I just want to challenge you. You've got the same Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got the same Holy Spirit living in you than I have in me. And He has given us so much opportunity with Esword and stuff like that for, for every single one of us, whether you know Greek and Hebrew or not, to be able to study the originals. Do you afford yourself the time? Are you seeking to be set apart to Christ from the things of God? Or do you really want more of the world? than you want of God. So, if you're going to teach, if you're going to be a part of this edification process, you yourself need to be set apart. Okay. Well, then it goes into this sanctification process, and it begins then to give us details, verse 25. Therefore, based upon the fact that you should be involved in the edification process, and we desire it to be perfection of unity, perfection of doctrine, and that every part of the body should be involved in the edification process and the ministry of the saints... You are setting yourself apart to do that. And so if you're setting yourself apart in order to be a part of the edification process, therefore, verse 25, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, nor let the sun go down upon your wrath, nor place of the devil. Well, now we have truth or, or your speech, how you're going to speak. Well, the first... Co- thing that we see in our speech is that it should be characterized by what? Truth. Okay? So when I come to talk to you in love, that one of the things that should be characterizing my speech or our speech as we talk together should be what? Truth. Truth. If we want to grow in perfection of doctrine, if we want to grow in perfection of truth, then truth, kind of makes sense, no brainer, should be central in our conversations. Not fabrications, not potentialities, but truth. But the second part of that is speaking the truth in what? In love, from earlier. So love also should be a character trait of my speech to you. That I'm not trying to um, tear you down, but rather I'm trying to what? Build you up. In fact, we look there, as we continue on with this, it says, um, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So that, let's say, I note something in you that 
we need to talk about. I, I feel like we need to talk about that clearly I, I, I see a moat in your eye. I've, I've considered the beam in my own eye. I've sought to eradicate the beam in my eye, but there's still the moat. And so Matthew 7 doesn't say that I shouldn't be involved in the process with you. It says that I better do what? Have some self-reflection examination and take care of my own issues before I worry about being involved with the issues that you have. But so now I come. And I'm involved in that process with you. But I'm involved in the process with you not to tear you down, not to destroy you, not to, to lift myself up above you and show you that you're wrong and I'm right, but rather because I desire for you to what? To grow. To grow in grace and knowledge. Does that make sense? And so I come to you now with knowledge, hopefully, but I come to you in love, speaking truth. And ultimately, I want to impart Grace to you. Not judgment, but grace. I understand what you believe about this. However, biblically, I see it this way. Um, sometimes that may take more of a uh, stronger tone. Exhortation is a, is a stronger tone. But the Bible talks a lot about um, in fact, let's go on because we're going to get to word encouragement in just a moment. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, Characterized as well by, by praise. Um, he continues on, Paul continues on in chapter 4, going into chapter 5, talking about the putting on of the new man and how that's done. And, and through the end of 4 and in the beginning of 5, he talks a lot about our, our words and, and how we, we do that. But then he goes on in verse 15, in chapter 5, 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You know, again, we're, this is all in the context of, of edifying one another. You know, don't waste time. Use the time wisely. Um, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There then is the desire as well, my, my speech should be characterized by praise. That, that as, I'm, as I'm speaking to, to one another, as we're speaking to one another, that we're praising God and thanking God. That, I mean, that when we're singing songs, it's not songs from the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you're talking about pop music is what I'm talking, you know, but that when we're doing it, we're, we're encouraging one another to sing songs of praise to God, hymns of praise, testimonials that we want to glorify God for who he is and what he's done. When you walk around during the course of the day, what songs are that you sing? You say, I don't sing. And some, and maybe people around you are grateful. But, but if you were to sing, what's, what's, what are the things that you'll be singing? What's rolling through your brain? You know, I, was, I just mentioned that, that, that Jessica, um, it was kind of neat when I saw the bulletin this morning, we're singing How Deep the Father's Love. I've been singing that the last couple of days. It, it, I had it. It played on on one of the the playlists, and and so it just it just grabbed me, you know. And and I've just been just humming it and singing it the last couple of days. I mean, it's just it's an awesome. It's probably one of my favorite songs right now. And but you know what I found, and this is maybe Bob being very musically inclined from the persp- the days of my my teenage years, you know. That I mean, my life was filled with music. But music is very important to me. And so I've got to be careful about what I play as my background music. And so I only want to play praise songs, worship songs, hymns, 
you understand what I'm saying, and whether it's instrumentals or whether they're vocals at the time or whatever. Um, and I'm not talking to you about style of it. I'm talking about the purpose of it. So that when I am out and about, when, when those messages start coming to my brain via song, they always do. I sing. And so if you, if, if you hang out with me, Ben, when you worked with me, you, I don't, you didn't work with me a long time, but would you say that that song would come, slip out at different times? Yeah. Whether he wanted to hear me sing or not, he'd sing. It was great. I remember still being at Riley's. And, and we started having a quartet or whatever going on. I think we even got Chris Connor singing that day. I think we did. I think he, I, was he there? I heard some bass coming from underneath the house. I, I think so too. I think even Chris Connor started to sing that day. You know, you know, because singing is what? It can be effective at times, can't it? You know, and people who say they don't sing, music still means something to them. Even, even a little bit. And so, what, what songs come to your lips and to your mind? Are they praise songs? Well, the reality is, there are going to be times when you're hanging out with somebody else who's a brother, and you're going to edify or destroy by that which slides out of your mouth via song. Speaking to one, speaking to one another. Speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Seeking, singing and making melody to yourself. What is it that we proclaim with our mouth? It ought to be truth. It ought to be from love. It ought to be praise, and it ought to be encouragement as well. Then I started talking about that with the imparting grace to one another. But you have the passages there that you can look at all these other passages. But in Hebrews chapter 10, we're told that we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. And even so much more as the day approaches, the day of Christ. So as the day of Christ approaches, we're supposed to be gathering together more and more and more and more and more. We're, we're, we should be desiring to spend more and more time together. Well, Why? So that we can provoke one another. Let's just stop there. Because all of a sudden we say, what? We do that, don't we? If we spend a lot of time together, we can sure provoke one another. Why do you think there's more problems in marriages than there is in um, just acquaintances? Because marriages, they usually spend more time together. And the more time you spend with another sinner, the more opportunities there are to what? Offend one another, to provoke one another. But not in the manner that Hebrews 10 is talking about. Because Hebrews 10 says that we're supposed to provoke one another to love and good works. That's right. We're supposed to be encouraging, putting courage into, and exhorting one another. What's really interesting is that um, the word for the Holy Spirit that is used, instead of it being the, the Holy Spirit, pneumatos, is they put in the word um, parakaleo or paraclete. Paraclete being the, the noun form of parakaleo, the, the verb form. You say, okay, that's a big deal. It is a big deal because the word parakaleo is made up of two other words. Kaleo means to call, and para means alongside, like a paragraph, alongside the writing of. Graphos, writing, para, alongside. alongside that's what a paragraph is, is alongside the writing of. And so paraclete is to call alongside of. It's me looking at Brian, picking up Brian up front, that he's down, he's downcast, whatever. And I call him alongside of me to put courage into him. But it may be that I look at Brian and there's things that he needs to, to grow on. And I call him alongside of me so I can what? Put truth into him. 
That would be called more like exhortation. <laughs> you know, that, that's not just comfort. That's just not, hey, buddy, you're doing good. That's, uh, can we, we need to talk about this a little area right here. But I'm still doing it all in the same. I'm doing it how? In love. Seeking to impart grace to him. Because I want him to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, that's my speech. Ephesians 4, we're there. In 5, right? But in 5, we talked about singing, speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And then we get into this next um, part of the process, and that is submission. Note what it says right after it talks about giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Edification. Edification. True building up. Equipping and and nurturing can only happen when each of the members of the body are willing to submit to one another. This isn't my assembly. When when there were the group of people that were meeting back in 2003 on Saturday nights for a Bible study, and there was a decision to potentially move forward with the church, we knew that there was going to come a time when we needed to have a constitution which governed our what? Our practices. There are issues in, in that that I would have seen differently. I would have done differently. But I was just what? One of the members of that group. Does that make sense? If I said, no, this is it, then it's whose church? It's Bob's church. Someone just told me recently, I just was at, meeting with the, um, the guy who's doing the stuff like as an architect for us, and he was telling me about it. There's a new church, um, and he told me where it was at. It has three members, the husband, the wife, and their daughter. I struggle with that one. I mean, they actually have a building, too. They actually, they actually have a, they're renting space as well. And it's a husband, a wife, and a daughter. And I think, that's not a what? It's not a church. That happens because clearly somebody wants it done their way. Okay? I don't want that to be. I mean, I, I, re, I, I really struggled with whether we were going to plant this, this, this church back then. When we were meeting together, is this the, is this the pattern, is this the path that I, that I felt like God wanted us to go on? Because I didn't want to, to, to be reactionary to what it had, had at the previous assembly and that I wanted it just to be done my way. And so it was important that as each individual the families, the couples that, that got together at that time to be able to share what they believed about truth. And as we went through about how the, the, the word of God should be applied in the assembly, that things that were unshakable and breakables, I'd die on. Does that make sense? I couldn't go there. If, the, if, the, if that group said, no, we, we think women pastors are okay. I wouldn't be here. No, you guys wouldn't be here either. But I wouldn't be here. I'd be someplace else. They may have another assembly, and they may have called themselves Family Bible Church. I don't know. But I wouldn't have been there with them. Because that's an unshakable, unbreakable. 
Does that make sense? But equally for those people, that as there were other issues that came in, they had to decide for them which areas were what? Unshakable, unbreakables. And they had to walk away. And we had some in early in the days who walked away. Just as we have some who come now and stay for a period of time, and they what? They have to walk away. Because there has to be this submission to one another in order for the body to grow. What if your stomach refused to accept what the mouth and esophagus sent to it? Has it ever happened to you? It has. See, numerous of you say, oh, wait, 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 I, I, I know, I've experienced that. Was it a pleasurable moment? No, no, it wasn't a pleasurable moment. Because usually there were the acids and everything else that came up from the stomach. I mean, when the stomach revolted, it didn't do it in a pleasurable way. There wasn't just a little door on the side. You know, most of us don't have that little tube or door that's there. And we just kind of open up the valve and just kind of let it go. Just, you know, that'd be kind of a Roman thing, wouldn't it? You know, that's where all the finger down the throat came from so they could continue to eat more and more and more. Anyways, I would never have made it in those, those surroundings. But we don't have those tubes or whatever. And so when our stomachs and our esophagus revolt against our mouth, it's not a pleasurable moment. There has to be a what? A submission of the body to one another in what we do. It is my ardent desire, and I don't mean this pat on my back, but I'm the guy of teaching, okay? To be in submission to the rest of you, as long as it doesn't validate what? Come on, this should be easy. What are we talking about? The whole, say again? Validate, or, no, I'm sorry, not that. No, uh, violate, thank you. Ah, there we go. I'm sorry. Now I know what you're all looking at me like, huh? As long as it doesn't violate God's Word. Right. As long as it's not violating God's Word, I need to be willing to submit to this assembly. But if this assembly had a meeting next week, and said, again, I'm going to pick on the, the woman pastor thing, and all of a sudden we decided now, after, you know, almost 10 years, we're going to have women pastors in, I would have to make a decision and say, okay, I guess I can't be here anymore. God has just revealed to me that he has another purpose for my life. I don't know what it is, but it's certainly not here because this assembly has changed. Does, does that make sense? Okay. So what about you all? What are you purposely doing, first of all, to edify others in this assembly? Are you involved in the edification process? Or are you just draining from the assembly? Just kind of taken. I'm a taker, not a giver. Well, edifying is being a giver. It's being a part of the, the building up process. In what ways do you need to grow in this area? If you're not edifying, if you're not a part of the edification process, and you should be a part of the edification process, what areas do you need to grow in? How do you need to evolve in this area? What topics fill your conversations with others? And that which you sing or listen to. When we get together, I remember years ago at the previous church I was at, there was a, a couple that came. Um, and the thing which the man noted that made him want to stay was when he gathered together with the men, they weren't just talking about sports. They actually talked about the Lord as well. And I know how easy it is for me to slide on back 
to things of the world and not to things of God. What is it? Think about it. What is it that brings us together here? It's not the NFL. It's not the NCAA. And it's not women's fashions. It's Jesus Christ. When we start worrying about the the NFL or the NBA or the NCAA or, or ladies' fashions or whatever, we begin to break up into what? Factions and groups. But when we focus on Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, you know what? There's a commonness. There's a unity. And if our desire is to worship him in spirit and truth, when we start to speak truth, even if iron sharpening iron and the sparks fly upwards, you know, and 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 the, and the sword plays going on. I mean, because honestly, if you ever watch fencers, you know, even when they like each other, how are they going to fence? They're the best of their ability. They're going to want to win. I mean, my, kids know if they beat me in a game, even though I love them, if they beat me in chess, they beat me at chess. I didn't lose the game on purpose. I may play with them a little bit during the game and let them, let them play for a while, but in the end, I'm going to win if I can. So if they, if they can win, they'll win. Okay. And so Gabrielle won in Lexicon a week ago and, uh, on Father's Day. How, how merciless can you be? Ah, oh, but she let me beat her in chess. Pa, humbug. Um, anyways, but she knew, and she, she commented on it. And I said, it didn't bother me to lose. And she says, you've always taught me that if I won, it's because I won. And I said, that's right, you won today. But spark flies upwards, okay? And so when if it's, if it's a matter of what's filling our conversation, and if it's a matter of us debating doctrine, I'm not offended. I really am not offended if somebody is ardently defending their what? Their opinion of doctrine. But give me the right to do what? Ardently defend my what I believe. And in the end, if we have a debate on it, what should happen? It should be brought to the assembly. It should be let go because it's like, this doesn't matter. Or if it's something that should matter to the assembly, the assembly makes the decision on it. Does that make sense? And then we have to make a decision, you and I, whoever it is that's debating this one, whether we can stay and submit to that or not. Finally, do you ultimately want this assembly to resemble you or Christ? And this is the thing that I, I mean, honestly, as the primary teacher, primary leader, I don't say it's a big struggle for me, but it's a testing point for me. Satan loves to bring this one to me. You know, when, when things don't necessarily go my way, you know, what am I going to do with that one? I'll let it go. You know, when I let somebody do the bulletin, or years ago we had a newsletter, when I let somebody do it, and they want to change the formatting of it. You can't do that. Clearly the way I formatted it was what? It was perfect. That's why I did it that way. I mean, you're going to come in and say that you're going to change it because it wasn't, it wasn't good enough? And so each one of us have to deal with that. I want this assembly to look like Jesus. I really do. Even though my flesh would say that, oh, it would be so nice to look like Bob. I really want, in my spirit, us to look like Jesus Christ. And I want us to reflect Christ, this community. I'm, I'm looking forward to having some permanence. So we know where Jerusalem and Judea is. And that we can continue to move out from there. 
and we can reflect Jesus to this community. I see too many, too many churches who are all about themselves. I was so thrilled a week ago, a little over a week ago actually, I had two kids come knocking on my door inviting us to their VBS. You did too. You live in my, you live in my neighborhood. Do you remember where they were from? Which one? No, no, it wasn't. It was the Central Church of Christ downtown. Ah, see? That's right. Most people, you hear the Church of Christ and you think, oh, the one near you. But it was actually the one, say again. You had a flyer on your door. And it was the one downtown. The one that was, that's, you know, you see as you go, what's the name? Uh, Washington Road becomes Calhoun Expressway. It's that one. That one has a sign, you catch him, he'll clean him. You know? I love that sign. Anyways, but no, it wasn't the ones near us. Think, I mean, I've always done when we go knocking on doors. How many other churches have knocked on your door with anything to tell you anything about not only just their church but of Jesus Christ? Lee Anderson knocked on my door yesterday. That was pretty cool. You know, he's running for Congress. Never had another congressman or senator knock on my door before. And I saw him, and I, I, I kind of recognized him, and he said, "I'm Lee Anderson." I, I said, man, I should have known that. I, I know your face. And anyways, what about the church of Jesus Christ? we got a message that's so much more important. We can go out and reflect Jesus Christ to this community to see people saved and come to the knowledge of truth because that's God's heart and desire. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for putting me together with this body of believers. Lord, I, I thank you that you've called us to be a family that you've called us to to have relationships with one another to love one another to serve one another to bear with one another to receive one another and to to edify one another lord i pray that we would be faithful to be a part of this process lord that we would not be pushing forth our own agenda but that we would be seeking yours and that we would be submitting to your plan and your will and your way. Lord, I pray that as we grow closer to each other and as we become more committed to one another, that, Lord, we would be able to be a beacon of light to this community, to this country, to this world, that would draw men to you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.